Welcome back, everyone, to the Xamarin Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest and greatest in Xamarin development. I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Pierce Bogan. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, happy Canada Day, buddy. Happy Canada Day. How was your 4th of July? Yeah, happy. Here's what I like about all the days, right? Because it's like there's Canada <laughs> Day, there's 4th of July. Yeah. C- congratulations to every country that is celebrating yet another year of being a country. How great is that for your country? <laughs> That's amazing. Are there any countries that don't have an Independence Day because they've just always been independent? That's true. Well, I mean, you can celebrate like Independence Day or you can celebrate like the year of well being. Well, I guess uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Well, congratulations to all countries for just being a country. (laughs) For being countries, right? Shout out to the countries. I I feel like I I stopped learning about uh, history (laughs) like as soon as I left high school. I was like, and I'm done here. (laughs) You know, I want to keep coding. But yeah, I should actually look that up because, I'm, you know, there's a lot of countries out there. If there was just an app for this and maybe our listeners do know if there's an app for this and you can fill out the contact form over there. But um, you know, I, I celebrated Canada Day, uh, which was great. Went out. I'm not Canadian, but I have a lot of Canadian friends. Uh, my buddy was getting married and we all got on a boat and it was Canada Day. He was getting married. It was great. It was, it was a great time. And then we uh, we did a little Fourth of July action um, mm-hmm. to celebrate America and uh, I was talking on my other podcast I do on blunders and I go, I did a lot of America things. I did, uh, I drank coffee, I went hiking and then I grilled. So quite a bit of everything that anyone could do probably in any country, <laughs> but it was, it was a pretty great day. That's amazing. Yeah. How about you? Uh, I went back to Alabama for the 4th of July holiday. Um, mm. Even though we were, we didn't have Monday off. I kind of like took Monday off and did a long weekend in Alabama, which was fun, flew back on the 4th of July, but Massachusetts makes me sad, Panda, because you cannot use or shoot fireworks or buy fireworks legally in the state of Massachusetts. And that's how Ohio um, was growing up. I had to drive all the way really? to another state to go buy them and then drive back and be like, yes, I won't use them in Ohio. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, when I was growing up, I mean, we did things you should not do with fireworks, like had fireworks wars, and we would shoot those giant like uh, things that look like grenades, you know, mm-hmm. the big ones that that fly up in the air and, and shoot out all the sparks and stuff, not like Roman candles, but the, the big old ones, and we would shoot those at each other. And we just wear like a ski mask and shoot them at each other. And oh, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> it's, it's a terrifying and really stupid thing to do. But I mean, when you're growing up in Alabama, what can you do? Well, so let me tell you, we, let me tell you, I was in Seattle and like people were definitely firing off stuff. And like we're in a very you know, relatively congested city <laughs> where I live and like right. like literally like a, maybe 20 feet away from where we're at. We're just like all, someone like put down a, a big thing in the middle of the road. And it's like pew, pew. I was like, not OK. Not, I'm not cool with this <laughs> anymore. I'll, I'll take a sparkler and that's it. Like I'm, I'm OK with sparklers, but that nothing more. That's that's all I can do. <laughs> what about those little popper things you just throw at the ground and they pop? But are pain to clean up. I like those things. Yeah, like, like those things, little poppers. Well, in right, my neighborhood, uh, all the buildings are like 300 years old. So it would be yeah. very, very, very bad if people were shooting off fireworks where I live. Yeah, and it kind of makes sense even in some states not to have. Like when I lived in Arizona, you, you can't, you cannot do anything at all. Like not even sparklers, I'm pretty sure, because everything is so dry. Like everything will just set ablaze, like, you know, like really right, quick. Right, exactly. So, all right, Pierce, let's get into it. We got some awesome, great news. It's been a kind of a slow few weeks here, but we're going to keep the Xamarin going nonstop. We have some new releases. We have some new stuff. We have some new awesome case studies on people building applications and kind of my my favorite. I mean, it's no Cleveland Indians. I get it. But the Minnesota Twins have actually built a really cool, awesome app. I've worked with this team. I remember when they actually came in. I met them for the first time. 
when they're looking to build an application, and they're actually built a full kind of Azure cloud-connected scouting application for their users, which is like really cool. So like kind of internal, but they're combining like their passion and their kind of knowledge for for ASP.NET and C Sharp and built this like really cloud-connected um, application so they can like scout um, prospective players no matter where they're at in the entire world. And they went through like Xamarin University and they use Xamarin Forms. They use like a VSTS, like all this great stuff, which is really cool uh, to learn about. So it's a really cool case study because like when people ask me like, hey, who's building applications? I'm like, hey, Minnesota Twins, like, you know, MLB, like they're building apps with, with Xamarin, which is super cool. Yeah, super cool for sure. And just like in general, usually once every week or every two weeks, we're posting these studies up on the blog. So keep an eye out on blog.xamarin.com. Speaking of case studies, there's another cool one from a energy company called Agreco. And so they actually built out a suite of apps for their customers so that they can see um, exactly what the deal is with their power. Because I know that when I was in Alabama, we would have some serious issues with uh, tornadoes and basically we would lose power for like days at a time multiple times per year and it was super frustrating because of course back in the old days um, you had to use a router and you had to connect mm-hmm. your computer to the router and the router doesn't work when there's no power and mm-hmm. so you had absolutely no idea you're calling the phone you're like what the heck is happening with the power when am I going to get it back it's super frustrating and so now um, Agreco for their customers has actually built out uh, a suite of customer apps to actually say, okay, I have an outage, uh, what's going on, get directly in touch with support representatives and see what the dealio is. And that's super useful as someone who is living in Alabama and whose power went out all the time and had absolutely no idea when it would come back on. And my wife's dad actually worked at a power company and still nothing. So it's it's pretty cool to actually have that in the power of your hands. And again, they use Xamarin. Uh, They also built out some management apps for their um, for their internal team to actually manage all their data centers and stuff too. So that's pretty cool. So they're using Xamarin not only for their customer-facing apps, but also for their internal apps as well. Nice. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, there's tons of great case studies too. So when you go to the blog at blog.xamarin.com, there's all these tags on the right-hand side and you can just tap on case study. And I mean, I'm just even looking through, like there's some case studies of HP, Trainer Road. I really like this one, which is Podly as a podcast producer and listener uh, as an iOS application where you can like, easily connect to all your different social um, graph essentially and see what podcasts all of your friends are listening to what they recommend. Um, and then you can also like obviously sync between all of your devices, which is really cool. Uh, I like that. I mean, there's, there's tons of great case studies on here just uh, to go through. So if you're ever like looking to say, Oh, what, what people or you know, my boss is interested in, other companies and and what even is Microsoft doing internally, right? With the PIX team and Hyperlapse team and stuff like that. Like go, go click on that, that puppy and, and check it out. It's, there's a lot of good stuff in there. For sure. And one other topic kind of shifting gears a little bit that we've been talking a lot about lately and I'm excited about, and I know you're excited about is Cosmos DB. So for those who have no idea what Cosmos DB is, they're like, what's this Cosmos thing? What's this document DB thing? What exactly is Cosmos DB? That's a great question. Um, so, well, DocumentDB was the original. I remember when everyone was talking talk, talk about, talk about uh, DocumentDB. It's kind of like, hey, listen, you want, you know Mongo and you know kind of NoSQL. This is our version of it, right? So this is our version of DocumentDB. And we're going to have SDKs for everything. It's basically super fast, scalable, global 
like connection to like a database. So I had Carol on the Xamarin show, who's a PM of, of, of DB and now Cosmos DB. And essentially like the idea there was, hey, listen, instead of like doing all the scaffolding, you need to get this data and you need to get it crazy super fast. So what if you just like kind of make a direct connection to the database and you're querying and you're like sending all these queries and geospatial queries really fast across all of your data. And that can all be done on the server, which are super fast instead of doing it all on your device. So what's cool about Cosmos DB is that it kind of is the evolution of that. And what it does, it supports all sorts of different models. So you can do graphs and document DB and table and Mongo's. Um, and it's available in a bunch of different technologies. So .NET, Python, and Java. So essentially what's cool there is that one, you can run Cosmos DB locally in a Cosmos DB emulator, but also it's like really easy to spin up and you're only paying for usage, which is really interesting about it. So you're not like, you're, you're not paying for the server just to be spun up all the time. It's just like as you're actively doing it. And the cool thing is that they have a cross-platform SDK. And uh, Mayur did an awesome blog post on going and querying this endpoint super fast. But the cool thing that I love about it is that, you know, we have 40 regions in Azure. And um, that's so many regions. It's more than like all, all, all regions, so many regions where you can deploy code and with, with hundreds of data centers, right? So let's say that I launched this application in Seattle because I'm like, oh man, I'm going to target Seattle for this application and I'm launching this. But now in, in his in his case, in, in kind of Mayor's things here, he's like, I'm opening a tea shop like in Seattle. He's like, okay, well now I'm going to roll out a tea shop in India, but all my data's in Seattle. So all I got to do is go into the Cosmos DB portal and then tap on say geo-replicate in India. And now all my data is geo-replicated in India instantaneous. So my users get like sub millisecond response times, which is like crazy. Wow, that's amazing. And I know for me, when I was looking at Document DB, now Cosmos DB, back in the day, the thing that was kind of scary to me a little bit was the NoSQL thing coming from like a .NET background. I'm used to all these relationships and relational databases and using Entity Framework and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think like it is incredibly freeing in a way because it was so frustrating. For example, when I was building out moments when we were working on the Evolve conference app, there's some things, especially when you get all this relational data that makes it very, very, very complex to build out and scale up. Um, When you have all these relationships and you have a session which has multiple speakers and these these speakers have things that uh, they own as well and you have all these relationships and it's just it gets out of hand very very quickly especially mm-hmm. when you're using something like entity framework so like i'm going to be rebuilding moments which i talked about a little bit in the last podcast which is my snapchat clone and i'm mm-hmm. going to be taking a look at cosmos db and saying okay well we have all these friendships we have all these snapchats and this is another great example of where the geo replication is super useful i can geo replicate to the regions where my users are most likely to be using Uh, moments, for example. And I can maybe even have uh, a smart version where I'm saying, okay, well, where, like, allow me to figure out where you're at so I can geo-replicate your data to your particular region. So Mm -hmm. if I'm sending you a snap and you're in Europe, well, I know that all snaps going to James need to to be geo-replicated in Europe. So you can do some, like, cool stuff like that 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 I just couldn't do beforehand. And so I'm definitely gonna have to take a strong look at this. And I know you mentioned you did a Xamarin show on this as well, if people are interested in getting started. Oh yeah, totally. I had Carol on. He he not only just talked about what, you know, and he applied it to Document DB, but it'll apply to obviously Cosmos DB too. Right. Um, and he talked about how to integrate the SDK. And he did this really cool thing, which he imported all of the earthquake data into, um, uh, into Cosmos DB, right? And he said, here's all the, 
the actual data. And then he, he took one of our applications, one of our recipes, where you could essentially take an iPhone app and you have a map and you just kind of click four, four quadrants and you say, I want this area, this grid to um, be showing up on here. And what he did here is you draw the little square there, but then what he did is essentially the Cosmos DB um, SDK has the idea of shapes and geo shapes. So he says, create a poly essentially of these are the coordinates. And he sends that poly up to Cosmos DB and it only returns the earthquake data that are inside of that square, wow. which is super cool. Yeah, so it's a cool, it's a cool video. It's a cool thing to watch just if you're if you're building and thinking about, oh, I need to get this data, or I only want to get the data for the users around me currently, and, that, and that's a good thing to think about too. Imagine you're building uh, an application, um, even like Yelp, right? And you're like, right. you're building like a Yelp like type application where you're like, oh, I need to get all the restaurants, and I need to get all the restaurants that are around me. So I could literally create a square on the map and say, hey. So just send me all the data right now for this square. That's pretty amazing. And I know that one of my favorite things about Azure, and we also kind of saw this when we were building the Evolve Conference application, is one thing that Azure makes extremely easy is this idea of scaling up and down. Mm -hmm. Because I remember we were, we had to, we were obviously having for the Evolve Conference app, we're having essentially everyone is in the same place using the application. So in the dead of night, hardly anyone's using the app. But in the middle of the, like in the morning and in the early afternoon, tons and tons of people are using the app. And so obviously there's a lot more data requests and that sort of thing. And it's cool because it's literally a couple clicks. Like you mentioned a couple clicks to geo-replicate these things. It's a couple clicks to scale up and down, you know, a a web service as well, which is pretty amazing um, because I know that, I'm not a network engineer and I could never figure that stuff out. And just being able to click buttons and have that happen is super cool. Yeah, I love it. I love it. All right. So there's been some other ups and downs of the Xamarin news landscape. So I want to switch paces because sometimes when I'm on the, on the on the podcast, I like to talk about some things I've been doing. And there's a few things that kind of correlate often with the blog and, and how things are going. So kind of we reach into the planet Xamarin, which is a, which is also a cool website. If you go to planetxamarin.com, that's a community um, community feed that anyone can um, contribute their blog to. And you can there's always all sorts of good stuff on there. And whenever we do podcasts or Xamarin shows, they show up on there, um, which is really cool. But I've been working over time on several different applications. I get t- asked time and time again about monetization about applications and you know I do the merge conflict with Frank and he monetizes apps differently and some people go paid approach some do um, you know subscriptions uh, some look to do ads some look to do you know um, consumable purchases all sorts of different things and you know I've talked heavily about um, talked heavily about uh, in-app purchases and some of the plugins that I've created for that but what's interesting is I never really put any ads into any of my applications uh, have you ever put any ads into your applications? I have not. Yeah. It's one of those things where I I don't really like ads in applications, so I never put ads in my applications. But then I decided, well, maybe I should just put ads (laughs) into the applications um, and and try to see if I can monetize stuff. And I wanted to do it just to see, like, well, like, what what is the experience like for developers to actually get ads into their apps? Uh, How does it work? Does it actually pay any money? Is it worth it? Um, how would you combine that with in-app purchases? Like, what does that workflow look like? I wanted to kind of do something that I was out of my comfort zone a little bit. And then document it, of course. And, and over my blog, I've, I've now finished the trifecta of, of how to integrate um, 
uh, AdMob ads into iOS, Android, and Microsoft ads into UWP applications, specifically when you're building Xamarin Forms-based applications. Um, and this is a perfect use case for like a custom control where you can actually embed one of these native ads into um, your Xamarin Forms application. And surprisingly, it's not a lot of code um, based on your architecture and a few things that you do. Um, it's maybe only like 50, you know, 40 or 50 lines of code um, for each platform, which is really cool. Um, I didn't do any attached properties or anything like that, but uh, it all totally works. I think that the setup takes longer, like setting up the actual ad mob integration as far as like going to the portal, like going to the ad mob portal, creating your thing, doing this thing, and, and all this stuff actually takes longer than going into your application and writing the code that you need to actually uh, integrate it, which is kind of crazy uh, to think about. So um, I, I wrote three blogs and we'll put them in the show notes um, on iOS, Android, and, and Windows. And I just did Windows this, this weekend. I was also my f- July 4th. And, and it's literally like hardly any lines of code at all, just based if it's on phone or desktop, display a different size. But it's crazy. It like totally worked and it, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. Dang. And you've done things as well with uh, and app purchases too, right? I know you blogged a little bit about that as well. Do you find it a little bit easier to integrate those or do you find it easier to do the ad portion? Yeah, so it's so here's the thing is when you put ads into your application, usually like you'll have an in-app purchase to like donate or to remove ads for like, you know, $2.99 or $4.99 or whatever your subscription is to like get a pro version. Um, so what's interesting is um, is that... Um, uh, is that testing ads is really easy because as long as they show up, you're good to go. Basically, you know, you you just put it into your app and you you're off to the races. The problem with in-app purchases, and I experience this often, and and Frank and I <laughs> talked about this in a whole podcast where I ranted about how I hate in-app purchases. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a plugin to abstract in-app purchases um, into a few lines of code because even though it's a few lines of code, though Pierce testing in-app purchases is so flipping hard because here's the thing is every single platform and i I talk about this on the documentation for the in-app billing plugin is that every single different platform works a little bit different so like even right now it's like oh i want to test restores so like all right here's what i got to do is i got to send it to test flight and then i got to log out of my account and i got to go create a sandbox account then i got to launch the app and log into the sandbox account and then make the purchase and uninstall the app then on then unsign out and then log back into my other account download it from test flight on remember these steps or else you're not really doing proper tests right and like go through this this cycle um of the of the different platforms and and even on android i'm like all right i actually bought a bunch of different android phones um to do testing on because i wanted a kitkat device and those are really hard to find um surprisingly on on amazon for like a new new kitkat device and uh, i found a blue device and i was like testing it on there and i'm I'm like all right so this is what i got to do is i got to sign in with a special account and then like make sure this thing is on the alpha program and all this stuff so i would say the plugin makes it really easy um, to get started it's the testing the upgrades the long term that makes it a little bit more um, confusing and the problem with the the, the in-app billing stuff is that um, I mean if you're using a plugin it, it's going to be even harder to kind of debug right so I often say hey just grab in the code and kind of see what's how it's how it's going on um, but uh, a lot of people do really weird wacky stuff so it's a little bit 
uh, tricky, I would say, um, to, to, um, kind of, to kind of test it. But I do recommend like it's a really good way of monetizing it. But I think like if you read all the documentation on ads and in-app purchases, I bet in a week or so, you'd have your app in a good state of not only being tested, but also um, understanding how they work, which is cool. That is cool. So shifting gears a little bit, um, we just announced, I know that people are all about how can I get started with Xamarin? What's the best way to get started with Xamarin? And for the past two years, we've been doing this thing called Xamarin Dev Days. Ever heard of it, James? Mm-hmm. May have heard pretty of it once awesome or twice. Event. Yeah, pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we actually just announced um, our last Dev Days for this year. So our last round of Dev Days. So we have tons of Dev Days. They're running all the way through literally um, this December. So it's not like all of the last dev days are like this month and then it's over. We have a whole bunch of more dates. It looks like about 50 more dates for the rest of this year. And these are great events where you can turn up. You can know literally nothing about Xamarin development. And in the morning, you're getting an overview of essentially what mobile development is in C Sharp. So you get an intro to Xamarin. You get a little intro to Xamarin Forms. And then what is a good mobile app without something to, you know, some data to visualize. So uh, you also get a brief introduction to Azure. And then in the afternoon, the thing that I really hate about a lot of these like events and trainings and that sort of thing is you just get talked at the whole day and you mm-hmm. don't actually learn anything. So the cool thing about Xamarin Dev Days is the whole afternoon is essentially sp- spent building an app and applying everything you learned in the morning. So basically at the end of the day, when you leave Xamarin Dev Days, you built an app that you can run on your phone, which is pretty amazing considering you can come in with literally no mobile knowledge and leave with a mobile app. And so we announced our last uh, dates for this year, as I mentioned. So go to uh, xamarin.com slash dev dash days, and there's a full listing of all the events for this year. In the last two years, I mean, it's been super, super successful. I think we've had over 14,000 developers join us for Xamarin Dev Days. So that's pretty amazing. Um, So you're not going to want to miss Xamarin Dev Days if there is one in your city or anywhere near you. So be sure to check those out. Yeah, I love it. It's a super great event. And uh, it's it's quite interesting just to kind of go and attend. I think even if you're kind of a, a seasoned veteran of Xamarin and been doing it for a while, there's still always something to pick up and learn and and help other people out, too. I think that's what's also really nice about these events is that they're very community focused. Uh, so a lot of a lot of MVPs are doing them or user group leaders. So they get a lot of people involved. So you're kind of not only just going um to learn about Xamarin, but you're meeting people in the community and kind of building out this really awesome ecosystem and learning about the user groups in the area and where else you can kind of contribute and and do more. So it's pretty awesome. And uh, Pierce, I'm super excited that the world um, has finally started to make the transition to .NET Standard. Uh, We've talked about it a bunch. Um, I've definitely been talking about it a bunch and we've, I've been on the, the ups and downs and Maybe, and you know, it's kind of always interesting with a new platform and a new way of sharing code and replacements for for uh, older ways of, of creating libraries and sharing them is is you kind of get to that that peak, right? Which is, all right, this thing has been working, this thing has been working, this thing is working, and this new thing's out, but this other thing is still kind of works. And is is the general developer base, is the tooling ready? Is the general developer base ready for it? And how much how much of an impact will this have on me if I make this transition? And .NET Standard are essentially these amazing libraries that are replacements for PCLs. So PCLs will go away completely. Thank goodness. Um, And .NET Standard is great because they are a set of APIs, like contracts that you know are in there. So it doesn't matter like if 
what checkboxes of different platforms. There are no platforms, right? You just pick a version of what APIs do I want, and these APIs are supported on this device. So if I want to support iOS, Android, and UWP for my application, you know, for an app developer, I say I, I turn it up to the highest, right? I'm like, I want all the APIs for whatever my devices can pick. And uh, I just create that library and, and it just works and I can share it across all the different um, applications and it's supported in VS for Mac and VS in 2015, 2017, all that different stuff. So it's it's really nice. I'm really uh, excited about it. And you, um, you beat me to the punch, which is funny <laughs> because I recorded a Xamarin show, which I've now embedded into this blog post of how to actually take an existing Xamarin Forms application and upgrade it to .NET Standard. So can you talk about that process a little bit? Yeah, so I think that there's several, first of all, so if you're wanting to use Xamarin Forms with .NET Standard, most likely you're going to be wanting to use the Xamarin Forms 235 pre-release, which adds formal compatibility with .NET Standard. Uh, now, I do know that in an upcoming stable release, that's going to be, the .NET Standard stuff's just going to be in the stable release as well, so you won't have to obviously ship your app with a pre-release forms build, but um for now, that's how you go ahead and, and get a library going with .NET Standard. So the easiest way, in my opinion, um, is to add a new .NET Standard. If you have an existing application, is to add a .NET Standard library to your solution and add the Xamarin, the Xamarin Forms pre-release NuGet to it. And then even though it's not super sexy, move over <laughs> your files, add your NuGets. Maybe while you're doing this, take, take the opportunity to refactor some of your code. Um, there is a migration utility okay. that you could, in theory, use. I'm not a huge fan of it because it does some wonky stuff, and I don't totally understand what's happening there, and I know people have had p- problems with it. Yeah, and it's really not that yeah. that big a deal to copy and paste some files and add some nougats. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I've been doing. Now, if you're starting a new, uh, we will be integrating this into, obviously, the file new process. We'll be replacing the PCL option with this uh, in our templates, but the way you can do this right now, since it's not stable yet, it's pre-release, you can go in Visual Studio or in Visual Studio for Mac, basically you can create a new uh, blank Xamarin Forms application or master detail application. You can add the .NET standard library, like I said, and then you can just copy over the files. So either way, that's that's my preferred approach. I think it's the easiest way, even though it's not like it's not like super automatic magical that you know you can use a conversion utility and boom, you have a .NET standard library. But for me, that's the way to know that everything that I put into this library is working. It's working as intended, and um, with the migration utility, I think that gets a little fuzzy. I don't know what your thoughts are as far as upgrading uh, an existing Xamarin Forms project to use .NET Standard. Yeah, so the best way to do it, I recommend, is is kind of, yeah, and this is how I upgraded um, some other things uh, whenever I upgrade libraries to it, is I essentially just create a new a new library. You want to create a .NET Standard library. You don't you want to use a conversion tool like you're using because it actually creates like a weird in-between hybrid thing. I wish they would remove the button um, to do it. But um, essentially what happens is you are able to create a new one, simply drag and drop over the files. You'll want to, um, and I did in the, in the Xamarin Show video, is you would want to just reinstall your NuGets into that .NET Standard library. And there's one caveat there, and this is why it's important that the kind of library creators are upgrading their .NET Standard or their libraries to .NET Standard is, if it's a .NET standard library, it can obviously easy be easily be installed in a in a PCL or a .NET standard library. But if it's an existing PCL, it's really it's a little bit complicated to install that into a .NET standard library. So there's a little um, CS proj setting that you can set essentially 
um, that allows you to install existing um, to install existing .NET standard libraries or sorry PCL libraries into um, .NET standard libraries. And I kind of go through that in the video of how easy it is to just like look at it and, and tap a few buttons to 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 do that. So if you have any um, if you have any existing um, libraries that are like, oh, this won't install for some reason. Well, check out my video because it'll, it'll show you how to how to easily upgrade it. Awesome. And yeah, I think like one of the other things that's that's pretty cool about .NET Standard is I know like the whole piece, the PCL profile thing, especially in relation to NuGet, was just infuriating. Yeah. Because you would have, for example, for example, you'd have a profile that a particular NuGet package basically had to be installed into. So basically you had to use this PCL profile or maybe one other one. And your and your particular PCL, another NuGet that you're using has to use a, another version of a PCL library. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's absolute madness. And now I don't even have to worry about that. Yeah, exactly. And speaking of libraries and .NET Standard, I know you've done some work in this realm in relation to plugins. I have been trying, I swear. It's been it's been <laughs> tricky. I've been going back and forth into that, you know, how do I do it? How, how should I do it? You know what I mean? Um, and, and when should I make the transition? And I have all these plugins for Xamarin, which uh, probably a lot of listeners uh, use, um, or maybe just finding about now and, and want to use. Um, and essentially what's really cool here is that I've I've taken quite a long time to do this because I wanted to do it right and I needed to get everything in the correct workflow um, of my CI servers and testability and, and install this stuff. But I've gone through the hard work of doing a proper transition from PCL based to .NET standard based um, flows. So what's cool there is that um, uh, that they'll install and upgrade if you're in an existing PCL or now if you have a .NET standard library or do this conversion of your forms app over, they'll all easily install. There's brand new releases of every single one of them. Um, some of them breaking changes, some of them not. Like, you know, the geolocator plugins has been in the works for like a year on a 4.0. And I said, what better time than this? And I went on a bike ride and tested background, uh, all this stuff on it and it all worked great. Um, and I was like, wow, okay, I guess it's time to finally push the button. And on the, uh, no, on Monday, the, the June, July 3rd, I pushed the button on all of them and they all went dot net standard. I wrote a great blog post of the transition and how to get them and, and all this jazz on it. And it was quite a big undertaking uh, to do, but I think, for the greater good of things. It helps with the maintainability, with the documentation and, and just how to get it in there. And I think as a as an app developer, the nice thing is that you don't even really have to think about it because as soon as these libraries support .NET standard, you're just still gonna install them like you've always installed them and, and it's easy peasy. For sure. And you mentioning the geolocator plugin and how you went on a quick little bike ride reminds me of when we we're building the my driving application, my driving sample application, which is basically like a, a trip analytics. So when I take trips, uh, it'll track my location. If I plug in a little sensor in a, into my OBD reader in my car, it'll give me some additional metadata, plugs all that up into Azure Machine Learning, pretty cool tool. And when we were testing this, we used the geolocator plugin to build it. And I remember us at like 3.30 in the morning mm -hmm. in Boston, driving around in our zip car testing out the geolocator plugin so this has been tried and true as far as testing is concerned by me and james personally in a zip car um that was that was one of my favorite app development moments from the last year that was fun yeah it, it's super fun uh that was that was a good one 
Yeah, and this one even uh, is pretty nice because uh, I've, I've a lot of a lot of developers, and what I usually mostly use it for is just to say, "Hey, give me my current geolocation." You know what I mean? Yep. And uh, what I do there is I have some new code that will allow you to simply um, say, "Give me my last known location." So often you want to just get something really fast and then spin up the actual location stuff and I have a reverse geolocation in there now so you can pass it a position it'll give you the address for it so some nice little tweaks in there so it's good stuff so definitely Amazing. take a look at the the plugins yeah and that's not the only new releases that are happening in the world of Xamarin there's a brand new preview of uh, Visual Studio 2017 15.3 preview 3 <laughs> like some long name <laughs> that's out there I think that there's um this is a kind of like the latest and greatest. I think of I think of it's, it's a little bit. I don't know if we've ever talked about the naming because in Visual Studio for Mac, there's obviously a stable beta and alpha. But in in Visual Studio 2015 and 2013, there was the same. There was a, a stable beta and alpha. But in 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 2017, Visual Studio 2017 for Windows, everything changed. There's new installer. And they do these releases like all the time. Like we're always coming out with new releases. And the idea is smaller, more tight releases um, is the idea there, essentially. And with this release, there's new releases of, of, of Mono, the remote iOS simulator, the profiler, iOS, you know, new VS, new VS for Mac releases too. So it's it's really easy to go in. And what's cool and what I love about the the on the PC side, well, on the Mac side of things, it's always been great, right? You can just toggle back and forth and just upgrade and like you're good. Like it just overrides everything in Visual Studio, it was always tricky because you're like, I'm gonna install, uninstall, and what am I actually installing? But what's cool is that the preview installs side by side. So um, you actually have two instances of it. And to be honest, they don't really interact with each other. Yep. They're very sandboxed, which is lovely. And um, that's how I test all the pre the, the pre kind of new features like the live player. And that's how I do it. So um, if you're using it, make sure you, all you have to do is just open up the Visual Studio installer, which is a separate app. And when you open up the Visual Studio installer, it'll tell you if you have any updates available and you're good to go. Yeah, and you'll also get a little, um, little. there'll be a little flag up in the right-hand corner, like a notifications uh, icon up in the upper right-hand corner of Visual Studio. They'll say, hey, you have an update, download this, yeah. which, uh, which is also a pretty handy way if you don't launch from the Visual Studio installer often. And like you mentioned, the sandboxing is amazing because I'm always... <laughs> Because even even in Visual Studio 2017, I mean, in 2015, it was horrible because it took forever to install. But in 2017, it's like 30 minutes for me, 20, 30 minutes. So it's not <laughs> too bad to have to reinstall things. But it's nice. Like, I'm running literally bleeding edge. I'm running all, all of our internal bits in the preview instance of Visual Studio. And so I and I have to go present like James and stuff. And so I don't want to ever mess up that stable uh, Visual Studio install. And even though I'm installing all this random stuff, installing like standalone Visixes and that sort of thing into my VS preview, it doesn't mess with anything because they're essentially sandbox. So like James yeah. said, if you've been a little scared of maybe switching to a preview build, they're totally separate. So you can, I mean, you can even install different workloads in the preview than you did in the stable. So if you want to maybe try out a new workload, but you don't want to alter your alter your stable environment, you can do that in the preview as well. So there's a lot of really cool things you can do. Definitely recommend checking that out because like James said, there's releases happening to this uh, every few weeks. It's pretty cool because before Visual Studio was shipping like a couple times per year max, and you're like, well, they're just dropping all this stuff 
you know, every six mm-hmm. months, yeah. I wish they could release on like a regular pace. And uh, so now with all these point releases, which happen typically every six to eight weeks, previews in between every couple weeks, um, you can get new bits all the time, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. So definitely check it out. And there's uh, one little 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 nugget that has been updated, even yet another uh, pre-release of Xamarin Forms uh, 235, which is the next big, big, big release that needs a lot of testing and, and stuff like that. It's on pre-release six. So you can go grab that that nugget and you can go and update it there. Some uh, bigger drastic changes in, in there. Lots of bug fixes and optimizations, especially in pre five and pre six is kind of like, you know, as, a, as things are going or kind of small modifications. I'm sure by the time it's out, maybe be pre seven. We'll see when it's going to release into the stable and they're doing a real good job and a lot of nice new features. I'm pretty excited about for that one. Pierce, Pierce, Pierce. It is that time we've run through the news and it is time for the the package of the podcast. What you got for us, Pierce? I got the media manager plugin. All about the plugins. Talked about them earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so the media manager plugin, I mean, I have done stuff with media quite a bit, uh, mostly like using the actual underlying iOS and Android native APIs. And it's kind of a pain. Um, not a huge fan of working with those APIs. Um, it doesn't seem like they get a lot of love personally. That's my personal opinion. Um, so plugins make everything easy. So they've made media management easy. So you can do uh, native playback of media files. So that's audio, video. You can do it from a local source, uh, remote source. Uh, you can do things like get the playback status. So it's not like super dumb as in like play, stop. You can, mm-hmm. you can even buffer audio. You can do that sort of thing. So it's not like it's like a bare bones implementation of playing audio. You can do some pretty complex stuff here. And I mentioned complex stuff. I mean, this has native integration with all of the different uh, integration points within the different operating systems. So like in iOS in the control center, we can swipe up and control your audio. Anything, any audio that you're playing via the media manager plugin is going to show up there. Mm. So if I'm playing for, if I'm building a podcast app and I'm using the media manager plugin to do this, which I, I mean, James, we need to build a podcast app. Um, we can actually see when we swipe up from the bottom, we'll automatically f- completely for free get that integration with the control center. And on Android, there's some cool integration points as well. And this works on all the different platforms. It works on all the platforms, James. Um, so iOS, Android, and obviously also UWP, Mac OS, and all of the other random um, like variations of the platform. So it works on Android TV, all these other places as well. So if you're doing anything with media, I think it's at least worth checking out. You mentioned how sometimes you can use plugins just to get a, pr- a quick proof of concept going up. So obviously if I'm building a super audio intensive application, it probably makes sense to just write that with all the native APIs, but getting a proof of concept up quickly with the media manager plugin, or maybe your app doesn't revolve around audio completely. You just have to add a little audio in all about that media manager plugin for Xamarin. And of course, great integration with Xamarin forms, always important. Yeah, super cool. You know, they even took the the uh, Hanselman application and added some video playback for uh, uh, the Channel 9 show that he does, which is super cool. That is cool. I love. Yeah. And uh, my picks got to be something interesting. I was telling uh, some MVPs and, and something about this this weekend. And I worked with um, uh, uh, one of our awesome, awesome people here at, at Microsoft and specifically Xamarin team, uh, Colby Will- Williams who's spectacular. And he created this, uh, I kind of encouraged him to create this plugin because he had this code base uh, that he had written for a long time. I'm like, oh, you should, you should, you know, plug in, it and, and put it out there in the world. 
And it's one of my favorites. I use it in actually in all my applications. It's kind of almost like I take for granted, like my settings plugin. It's like I always use this plugin for my applications. And it's called the version tracking plugin. And what's cool about this is you can easily just go and um, get the version number of your application, which is really nice. You can say, hey, give me my current version. What's the previous build? What was the first build that they ever installed? You can get the build history um, and you can track these essentially like inside of your apps. You can just easily say, hey, track the current version and it'll know to track it and kind of post it there. And it keeps this history of it, too. But what's really cool is that you can also um, has a little helper function. So is this the first uh, launch of the app ever? Is it the first launch for this version? Is it the first launch for this build? Is it, you know, is what, what's the um, current build, the previous build? Like, you know, build, like I said, build history, right? What's the, the version history? Like, because there's build numbers and version history. So is it 1, 15, 18, or is it 1.0.0? So it's it's cool because you can track all of this. And I use this all the time because, I kept forgetting to update my version number in the app because I, I have it on CI, right? And that's often what happens. You have it in continuous integration. That bump build version is always bumped. Um, so I just use this thing and it just outputs the version number and, and people can tell me what version it is. It's super cool. Little little nugget for you. Sweet. Love yeah. it. Two plugins on the on the package of the podcast. Package of the podcast. I love it. Well, Pierce, 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 this has been the Xamarin Podcast. Anything else you want to tell the tell the listeners? Nope, I'm pretty boring today. I have nothing nothing extra to say. Very good. Well, you can find all the latest and greatest Xamarin podcasts at XamarinPodcast.com. Uh, you can leave feedback. You can comment on the shows. You can, of course, rate us and review us on your favorite podcast application. You can share it if you're using Podly or using Overcast or anything like that. Share it with your, your coworkers, your colleagues, and tell them that you love the Xamarin podcast every two weeks straight into your media device. You can find me everywhere on the internet. I'm at James Montemagno. You can listen to me more in multiple places, including my other podcast uh, called Merge Conflict at mergeconflict.fm, which is an awesome weekly podcast about development in general. What I do with our MVP, Frank Kruger, and good close personal friend of mine. Uh, I also do a show on Xamarin on Channel 9 called The Xamarin Show. And you can go to xamarinshow.com for that. What about you, Pierce? You can follow me on Twitter at Pierce Bogan or follow along what I'm doing on GitHub at Pierce Bogan as well. And I know just side note on the Channel 9 shows, you can now subscribe to those as well. Yes. So be sure to subscribe to the to James's Channel 9 shows. They're amazing. That's how I get all my Xamarin news because he's amazing. Any, basically, what I'm saying is anything that's happening in Xamarin, James is going to tell you on one of his mediums. So be sure to follow <laughs> him. Yes, I will let you know. <laughs> Until next time, everyone, you have a lovely lovely day. Uh, I'll talk to you later, Pierce. See you, dude.